The last debate in the race for governor, will it matter? By bashing in the Senate race, the outside help for Todd Young. The 9th District race is a toss-up, Mike Pence on the run, and the problem with voter fraud allegations, that plus how not to earn publicity in a political campaign, and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending October 28, 2016. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. This week, the candidates for governor took part in a third and final debate. Libertarian Rex Bell, Democrat John Gregg, and Republican Eric Holcomb met at the University of Southern Indiana in Evansville. The debate was meant to cover social issues, yet there was no RIFRA question. However, Sunday alcohol sales did come up. Here is Gregg, followed by Holcomb and Bell. I'd want to listen to retailers and consumers, but uh, uh, contrary to what my mother's going to say, and she's here tonight, she's not going to like my answer, but I would very likely sign it. I think this um, doesn't put an undue burden on folks um, who need to have a drink on a Sunday. I think they can plan accordingly six days prior. I've always maintained that anything that's legal on Saturday should be legal on Sunday. <laughs> Who won the gubernatorial debate? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel, Democrat and Delaney. Republican Pete Seat. John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Wish TV State House reporter Jim Shella. Pete Seat, was this a good debate? Yeah, I thought it was a great debate. I mean, speaking as Eric Holcomb's spokesperson, I think he did a great job articulating his vision. Uh, but speaking as a Hoosier voter, I think it was a, a strong, civil, substantive debate that the voters of this state deserved. And good job to the debate commission for putting it on. Yet, if you're the debate commission, how do you say that this is about social issues and then not come up with a RIFRA question? Well, RIFRA came <laughs> up in other debates, including the first debate held by the debate commission. And I thought it was disingenuous on the part of John Gregg, who has spent this entire campaign saying he doesn't want to focus on, on divisive social issues, to go up to the podium after the debate and complain that he didn't get asked about a divisive social issue. <laughs> um, will this matter? Oh, I think it does. I think John did an excellent job. And, and the reason, obviously, that they, they don't want to talk about RIFRA is because Holcomb's position on RIFRA is the same as Pence's, as his position on alcohol sales is and everything else. He's just Pence a little taller. So, you know, I can understand why he doesn't want to have any association with Pence since he won't even put him in the ads. It's all Mitch Daniels, nothing to do with the guy who actually made him lieutenant governor, which is pretty interesting. But, you know, John did an excellent job, I thought. 
One of the things that was hard to ignore in this debate was the fact that Rex Bell, the libertarian, uh, was off mic for a good portion of it. They had to get him another mic, and he forgot uh, to, to, to use it on at least one occasion. Uh, but it, it raises a bigger question, I think. Should libertarians be included in these debates? Should there be a threshold like there is uh, with the presidential debates? I think it's a fair question, uh, because... If you do the math, you can see that the um, you know the two major party candidates lose about a third of the time to ask you know answer more questions. But I also understand the spirit of inclusiveness, and they do have ballot access, and they do have a candidate who's qualified and and part of the process. So, to your question of whether there should be a threshold, I think that's something worth exploring for the next cycle. Um, but they have met the legal threshold to be a, a candidate uh, on the ballot, and so you know I understand how they're part of the process. Yes, yeah, I mean worth pointing out with presidential debate commission, you have to have 15 percent of the vote to be included, and uh, the libertarian candidate is on the ballot in all 50. states. States, but Gary Johnson is not included. Well, but you also have, keep in mind, in the presidential contest, in some states you have dozens, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe but even he, hundreds of, but of candidates. he is and, the only third-party candidate on in all 50 states. And they, they've had a set of rules that they've stuck with. The Indiana Debate Commission has adopted a different set of rules. And I think having established those rules, it would be problematic and certainly a, a PR problem or a perception problem to now say we are going to exclude people who, as John suggested, are on, have done all of, jumped through all of the hoops they need to jump through to get on the ballot. And I guess it's a chicken and egg question. You could say, well, they don't, haven't risen to mm-hmm. whatever the threshold is in terms of popularity. Well, you could say maybe that's because they haven't had the platform, because they don't have the ability to pay for uh, paid media for a, a television campaign or to have well, the same so profile. So if you so, want to think that hard about it, you could include them in the first one or the second one and then see if they've made the threshold for the third one. That sounds pretty com- complicated. I mean, and again, I, I think it it's a matter of <laughs> it's a matter of precedent. Yeah. Had you been there during the establishment <laughs> of the debate commission, but I think given that this is the pattern now, it would be yeah. hard to, there'd be hue and cry to, to exclude people. What, what does Eric Holcomb have to do to catch up in the last week and a half? Well, one, I think he needs to continue to articulate his vision and the fact that we want to continue Indiana's successes, take us to the next level. And he needs to define John Gregg continually about lifetime health care, the fact that he had deficits when he left as speaker, all these issues that Hoosiers aren't fond of. The deficit lasted for one day, okay? And he doesn't have the lifetime health care. He's paying for his own health care. So we he ought to at least get the ads accurate. And what we're doing here is all we're doing is if we elect Eric Holcomb is continuing Mike Pence, and I think the rest of the Hoosier nation has had enough of him. Somebody suggested quickly, though, that we should compliment both candidates because the the electorate is so tired of debates that are basically shouting matches and who can have the biggest insult or the biggest singer. These people both generally answered questions that were posed in a civilized manner and actually articulated different views on different positions, and, which and, gives, and which is all, what a debate should and do. And they also had a little exchange at one point to demonstrate that that they respect each other. And, and, yeah. and they asked for more in this yeah. Yeah. I wish we had um, more of that at the national level. I agree. All right, time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, should the libertarian be included in future Indiana debates. Your choices are A, yes, if he or she is on the ballot, 
B, there should be a 15% threshold, or C, not until a libertarian wins a state office. Last week's question, are you ready for election day to get here? 67% said yes, it can't come soon enough. 5% said no, I'm enjoying the campaign. 28% said I voted already. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to wfyi.org slash iwir and look for the poll. Arkansas Republican Tom Cotton campaigned with Todd Young this week, and both of them attacked Democrat Evan Bayh for failing to attend a number of committee hearings when he was in the Senate. Cotton is a member of the Armed Services Committee, and Republican research shows that Bayh missed 76% of the meetings on that committee, including one on the day the U.S. invaded Iraq. Here's Young, followed by Cotton. He missed these hearings as troops were going into Iraq, and then his family went off uh, that evening, as I understand it. Uh, from the reporting uh, on a ski vacation uh, together. I think most Hoosiers know that if they send Evan Bayh back to the United States Senate, that he's not going to be there representing Hoosiers. He's going to be representing himself and the Obama-Clinton agenda. He's not going to be serving you. He's not going to be serving our troops. And Delaney, how important are committee hearings? First of all, you have dual committee. You can be on more than one committee having to meet at the same time. So the percentage is nonsense. And to have Cotton come in here and talk for him, he's the one that sent the letter to Iran behind the president's back that, that even Dan Coats refused to sign. And some people called traitorous. You know, it's, it's amazing about this is the people he's bringing in. He's bringing in Carly Fiorino, Fiorino okay. because, because, you know, she's the outsourcing HP person. And you, you you have him uh, adopting legislation to make it easier for Carrier to export those jobs, taking money from the executives after they're leaving, and you know, you, not even offering or even a little bit of support to help retrain the workers. You know, and then he says when the chamber endorses him that that's an endorsement by the workers. He is in a parallel universe just like Donald Trump. <laughs> um, I think it's interesting. We're, we're seeing Carly Fiorina uh, and Tom Cotton come in here, John McCain. Um, clearly, the Republicans in the Senate uh, know how important this race is to them maintaining control. Uh, it also looks like they're worried about Todd Young. Well, I think Ann did a great job not answering your question. Committee hearings do matter, and Evan Bayh not only missed 76 percent of his hearings at Armed Services, arguably one of the most important committees in the Senate, but he also missed hearings in other committees. And, it, and it Todd's least, never it, missed it any? You, it makes Todd's you wonder, it any? makes you wonder, okay, if he wasn't in Indiana in his $50,000 condo, and he wasn't attending committee hearings when he was representing Hoosiers, where in the he world has this another, guy been He was at another hear, committee was, hearing, that's and all. Yes, Republicans are, are interested in this seat, and they understand the importance of it, and that's why you're seeing people come here to campaign for yeah, Todd they're Young. They're trying to yeah. boost him up to get him to the majority. One thing, trying to do. one thing Evan Bayh will tell you is that he was also on the Intelligence Committee right. and that they got some of the same briefings. Exactly. So, well, um, this race is going to be close, and I'm thinking that uh, the presidential race is going to have a bearing on it, and uh, the developments with uh, Hillary Clinton and an FBI investigation could well uh, be something that uh, these candidates should be watching. I think you're right. No race, uh, certainly one on that high up on the ballot, takes place in a vacuum. And especially this year, as we've discussed in previous uh, weeks, we don't really know what this uh, lurks, you know, what, what the character or the motivation uh, is of this new voting block that has registered or reengaged with the process. 
if they're voting for Donald Trump, if they're voted against, voting, you know, motivated yeah. by hatred for Donald Trump. And, well, and, regardless, and regardless of that, what then that means, or do they right. walk out of the polling place after just casting that one vote in that one race, or do they? So you're right. I, it will have an effect. It has to, but uh, I don't know what. And again, we have all, a number of votes already that have been cast. Uh, so that's the, uh, that's the challenge of early voting. You know, a lot of late-breaking issues you don't get a, a mulligan. You don't go back and say, I want to change my vote. A lot of voters are tuning out at this point. Yeah, I think there is uh, something to be said for the hail of negative advertising that is flying through the air right now. Uh, and I'll tell you, if, if you know, I'm not a strategist, I don't claim to be one, uh, but if I were Evan Bayh, I'd think strongly about going only negative at this, or only positive at this point as a contrast uh, to the, uh, just the barrage of ads that have been coming not just in this race, but in almost all of the races that we've seen. I think that would be one way to break through the, 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 um, the you know, this, whatever you want to call this, this wall of negativity that's coming out into the living rooms across the state. Uh, and if you want to make an impact, that's one way to do it. Just go positive. And, and talk about the family and what he's meant, what uh, Hoosiers have meant to him and what he's meant to the state. I don't know anything about Todd Young other than he's a Marine. Is he married? Does he have kids? Where did he go to school? What did he do before? None of that's out there. It's all, I'm a Marine. I wonder if he realizes how much what? the rest of the service is dislike Marines as a general rule. <laughs> wow. Well, I was going to say, as the son of a Marine, I'm not going to touch that. But um, <laughs> Todd Young uh, went after Evan by with negative stuff right All off the bat. The and, and part of that, when we get past Election Day, uh, we may look back and say that he made a mistake there. Well, there's a lot of stuff to point out about Evan by's record, <clears throat> and so it takes several months to do it. Oh, right. wait a second. When One of the things they're saying is that he's the tool of Wall Street. When you have the lobbying group for Wall Street putting millions of dollars into electing young, electing young, because young votes with them 100 percent of the time, and Evan Biden does. Moving on, the battle to replace Todd Young in the ninth congressional district is one that is suddenly attracting national interest as well. Republicans and Democrats on Capitol Hill are both trying to affect the outcome. It's the closest congressional race in Indiana. Democrat Shelley Yoder is running for the second time. She lost to Todd Young in 20. She's a professor at IU, and her ads talk about her Indiana roots. Republican Trey Hollingsworth is a first-time candidate who is running as an outsider. His ads talk about the jobs he's created through a business that buys old manufacturing plants and refurbishes them. Internal Democratic polls show the race tied, and both candidates agree it's close. You just get a, a sense for how people react to you, um, what what's on people's minds, what's on voters' hearts, what's important to Hoosiers. And I, I get a sense that there's, a, there's a, a, a wind at our backs and a wind in our midst. Is this race a toss-up? Look, we haven't gone to the field in weeks because we've seen the enthusiasm. And what I'm hearing at doors is that people are excited about my candidacy for real change and how committed I am to real change. John Katzenberger, how big an upset would that be if Yoder wins? I think it would be classified as an upset. That district clearly favors the Republicans. Uh, but I think that uh, uh, Hollingsworth has some real barriers to overcome. The fact that he's talking to you now uh, and paying attention to the uh, earned media says something to me, which is it is darn close. Um, the fact that they're pouring another million or a million and a half into this race 
on top of everything else that they've poured into it, they being his candidacy and his father's super PAC, tells me that they know that it's close. And I think he benefited from a fractured Republican uh, primary. People didn't understand who he was. Shelley Yoder's had the resources and has done a good job of pointing out his uh, situation. Yeah. So I think uh, it, it will be an upset if she wins, but it won't be surprising if that makes and sense. And one of the questions for him right now is whether the Republican Party is united behind him. Well, and that gets back to what one of the things John just mentioned. That was a... Um, you know, a very uh, hotly contested primary, and you had people uh, who were convinced and, and that other candidates would emerge victorious and were supportive of those candidates. So anytime you have, you know, that's always the fiction that when people say when you have a contested primary, party bosses will say, "Yes, great." You know, yeah. it hardened the candidates. It now they're now they're battle tested and ready and for it. That's, that's baloney. Well, it is baloney, and <laughs> you've you even said it before. That. But. Uh, <laughs> And it is baloney you because you don't want that. You don't want to squander the resources. Right. You want to be able right. to keep your powder dry, so to speak. And, and that has had a lingering effect. But as John says, to be a, an upset requires some degree of surprise. If, if the day after the primary, you know, if you somehow had a, a time warp it to, yeah. that might be a surprise. But we've seen, we've seen this race evolve and, and, and narrow. Well, but all of a sudden, the folks in, in Washington, the National Republican Congressional Committee, came in this week with ads uh, that are almost comical uh, for, for how negative they are and how dark. Um, clearly, they're worried. Well, I think it's a competitive race, and there are some hard feelings from that primary still to this day. But I think what's going to bring the, brace, the, the base to Trey Hollingsworth is what unites Hillary Clinton, John Gregg, Evan Bayh, and Shelley Yoder. Not just that they're all retread candidates who are running for the same office again, but the fact that they're all liberals, and people will come to Trey's <laughs> support. <laughs> Great at labels. Tennessee Trey has a problem. He moved into this district a month before he filed his candidacy, and Daddy is trying to buy him this after doing research around the country be, on the open seats as yeah. to which one he'd be most compatible with. He'd be with. happy to tell you that he moved here from South Carolina. Oh, did he? Well, he didn't move here from Indiana, did he? And on top of that, he will not give us his tax returns, which probably declares him as a Tennessee or a South Carolina resident and not a resident of the state of Indiana. Um, Shelley Yoder is an excellent candidate, and she's been working that very hard. Her qualifications are there. She's personable. She's got all of the qualifications. I think she's going to win. Moving on, Mike Pence fought Obamacare in Congress, and as governor, the pitch to do away with Obamacare is not a new element in his 2016 campaign speech, but he's got new material to go with it this week because of figures that show health insurance premiums increasing by an average of 25%. Pence hit that hard in Ohio stops this week, where he ran down the steps of his airplane and ran all the way to the stage at one rally conducted in an airport hangar. Ironically, Obamacare rates in Ohio are only going up an average of 13 percent, and that's according to information being distributed by the Trump campaign. That doesn't affect the Pence message. I'm not making this up. President Obama last week compared Obamacare to the Samsung Galaxy 7 phones that have spontaneously burst into flames. When one of these companies comes out with a new smartphone and it has a few bugs, what do they do? They fix it. They upgrade it. Unless it catches fire, then they pull it off the market. Well, what a coincidence, Mr. President, because that's exactly what we're going to do with Obamacare. John Schwannis, in the meantime, the federal government says that insurance premiums in Indiana will go up 
actually will go, go down, down by 3%. Mm -hmm. The Pence administration immediately reacted and said that, that it, they'll go up by 18%. Um, <laughs> About 30, 25, 7, um, make it up. Yeah. This, this, it's like the old days of I-step scores. You know, you can slice them any way you want to make any point you want. The fact of the matter is, you know, more people are insured. There are protections uh, in terms of portability and in terms of uh, removal of lifetime caps and, and uh, the ability of, of young people under the age of 26 to stay on. So there are some good elements about this. And, in fact, the increases, while dramatic, don't, I mean, the suggestion here is that everybody will see a rapid increase. But, in fact, if, you're, if your insurance is through an employer, you won't see it if it's through well, Medicare. Well, you an insurance employer rise anyway. They always go up. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, in some cases, there, there's been a slower rise because of it's this. But I guess what I'm, rise, what I'm saying is you can make any, any case you want. Um, and uh, yeah, But, but, but uh, that's not to take away the potency of the issue because there, I mean, that is yeah. a, that is a okay. you say the word Obamacare and it's going to rile people up. Mike Pence made sure there wasn't a state exchange right. here. Right. Um, and when this news came out about premiums going down, I, I heard some people say, well, Mike Pence did the right thing, but obviously he, he's not playing it that way. Um, look, the, the fact is this is a potent issue, uh, and it does raise uh, strong feelings one way or another. So, you know, you keep the base going. The problem is in the middle um, you have a lot of people who need insurance, and you had legislation passed to try to help that situation, and it wasn't very good legislation uh, at the time. And in Indiana, as you mentioned, the exchange was not created, and so that put people in Indiana who need to get the insurance at a little bit of a behind the, the eight ball, too. Um, but rather than fix the problem, Congress has completely kicked, uh, punted on this issue. And so it becomes a political issue when it really needs to be an yeah. issue that is dealt with. If you don't like the Obamacare, then fix it or get rid of it and put something in its place. We haven't seen any of that. Well, it never yeah. Yeah. will happen yeah. because what, of the, what Mike the Pence, track record. What Mike Pence and the Republicans are trying to do now, though, is try to make this one more reason to vote yeah. for Donald and, and, Trump. And what's crazy about that is Mike Pence adopted Obamacare in Indiana, and we have 350,000 350, Hoosiers covered as a result yeah. of that. And that is a good thing. And the president has said that, obviously, the, uh, the uh, Obamacare needs to have some fixes made. Everybody recognizes that, and they want to fix it because we have 10 million people now covered. There are other things we need to do to make the legislation more effective, but nobody's going to repeal it when you have pre-existing coverage and you have lifetime caps taken away and all well, the other benefits repeal that it, you they, have. If they think the outcry is, is loud now, just wait until ridiculous. those types of things uh, were right. taken away. And everybody's premiums go up. The, for, the good news is that with this out there, they're not going up as fast as they were before Obamacare was that's adopted. It's a, a tough argument to sell. Yeah, no, I, I know, but I mean, yeah, it happens premiums to be, are going to go up. Well, no you don't worry what about the truth. What's right? the difference? I, yeah. It's a bad argument. Well, they, what, they go up. All right, still with Mike Pence. Employers like me who provide it know how much they've gone up in the past, and that the fact that they're going up less is a good thing. Mike Pence's campaign plane uh, had a rough landing in New York, slid off the runway. Um, Think that's a metaphor? I, <laughs> not necessarily. It went, I mean, there's a lot of talk uh, about how there have been problems with that plane before. Is there, is there a larger story here? 
I don't think so. I talked to some people who were on board the plane last night. You know, they were shaken by the experience, but they're continuing the campaign full steam. That may explain this run toward the uh, the lectern and that piece of video. You know, <laughs> training, early training <laughs> session. Yeah. Just be ready for a, for an early. I didn't see the uh, you know, the jetway come down. That what I think that's worth noticing though. He was he's trying to show people that he's upbeat and energetic and uh, you know. Maybe it, he's just trying to get some exercise after all the food he's been eating at the campaign uh, events. Who knows? You know, it could be as simple as that. I don't I don't think anything in a presidential campaign is go. an accident. Um, <laughs> all right, finally. There is a libertarian candidate in the 9th Congressional District who is getting noticed not for anything campaign-related, but rather for his interaction with law enforcement. Russell Brooksbank has sued a police officer who accused him of assault last month. Brooksbank says a Kentucky state trooper violated his constitutional rights during a traffic stop. The candidate now says he was the victim of false arrest, battery, and malicious prosecution. Pete by filing the lawsuit, he guaranteed that TV stations and newspapers would show that mugshot uh, again. Uh, not, not a pretty one for the sake of the radio audience. Should he have waited until after the election? All press is good press, right? <laughs> you tell me. Is that, have is him, that have him sign that document. <laughs> was, was that good press? No, of course not. But, hey, he got his name on Indiana Week in Review. So and who says we don't talk about the libertarians? Right. 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 He didn't <laughs> have to meet a threshold for this either. I mean, come on. Well, will he be a factor in that in that Yoder uh, uh, Hollingsworth? Nope. I mean, we're we're seeing libertarians take up to six percent in some races. I, I don't think he's going to get six percent in that race. No. No, I'm just saying. I don't think so. Well, and, and traditionally, you know, you look at people going home, so to speak, when they get closer to election day, go back to their the party that they have supported in the past. I mean, that's historically the case. Right. Maybe all bets are off this time, but. If, if precedent is any guide, those numbers across the country will start to shrink as we get closer to November 8th. Yeah, I think that's right. That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat and Delaney. Republican, Pete Seat. John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash iwir or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Jim Shella of Wish TV. Join us next time because a lot can happen in an Indiana week. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.